Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerability Sphere podcast. I'm Adam Blitzky. I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men communicate and build empathy. Season two of the Veer Vulnerability Sphere podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Standard and Strange, where the clothes and the people are anything but ordinary, and the motto is own fewer, better things. All right, Albert, we got the uh, crew assembled here. You know, we didn't actually like dive into our topics and uh, I think we can all kind of agree that like, you know, it, it's, it's been heavy this year and, and maybe we just kind of need a break, but um, I don't know. How, how do you feel? I know you're, you're very uh, charged up and energized about this uh, topic, so I'll let you, you have at it and uh, kind of take us where we need to go. Well, just to set the stage a little bit, we've got our panel regulars. We got our buddy Neil from Standard and Strange and we've got our buddy Evan, Shades of Indigo. And um, we just finished up, uh, last episode was recorded just after the election had ended. And uh, we talked to my buddy, Doug Williams, uh, a rather talented bass baritone who um, really enjoyed doing this show. And I, I thought really brought some really interesting observations about being an American abroad at this time because of the work that I do uh, promoting music. A lot of the artists that I represent have strong ties um to europe either they live there they're from there or they work a lot there doug's not a client he's just a friend but um he's one of many many european uh, uh europe-based uh, people that i talk to all the time and you know i have to admit there was there was huge amount of energy and concern leading up to the election a lot of people coming in with some pretty heavy observations about just how off the rails the U.S. had gone, like viewing it from afar, seeing, you know, all the fights about, about the virus and then all the, uh, the fights about the, the fairness of the election. And, you know, just like, you know, people from afar seeing it and seeing a lot that they were pretty concerned about. And I thought it was interesting talking to Doug. One of the, one of the key points he made that still really stuck with me is he described like the average German person on the streets as being someone who's not really tied into a lot of social media fed news that that was that was something like you know his his description of it was well the news cast is kind of dull it's very low energy you know just very calm energy it's kind of like our version of PBS news hour and i was just thinking that really explains a lot of of the in- intensity of what's been going on um, in our country th- up and, and through the election, just how incredibly, um, how incredibly uh, un- undermining social media can be to a civil conversation. I'm like on Instagram, I'm talking to you guys and I'm like, Mr. Diplomacy, Mr. Build Bridges. And then I get on Twitter and I see the wrong thing from the wrong person and I become like a real mean son of a bitch. And I, and I think I'm right. I think I'm right to slam someone for... Mm-hmm. Supporting Donald Trump, or for, uh, you know, whatever the case may be, but when I actually look back at it later, I'm like, wow, I've gone right down that. I am one of those people in that, you know, in that group of people who social media was bringing out the worst instincts in me to a certain degree. So I was just wondering how much that resonated with you um, in terms of the election, in terms of your how involved you were, and how emotional, emotionally invested you were. How did how did that all play out in terms of how you expressed your own passion about what was happening? Yeah, that's a, a great, great question to to stop it off and start it off. And I feel you because I, I feel like Instagram, um, you can kind of curate exactly what you want to see in your feed. Um, and, and, you know, eventually it'll kind of learn your likes and dislikes after a while. And you know, with our kind of group, you know, the denim community and, and so on, um, we're, we're pretty reasonable people. I, I would say we're pretty level-headed. Um, but I think it was uh, the, before the last round table, Neil and I were talking before everyone came on and we were just, you know, talking about uh, Reddit and uh, how, how it is. And I think uh, your Twitter experience is very similar to my Reddit experience where I just go on and I, I watch the world burn. Um, it's, it's very uh, trash talky back and forth. Um, you know, it, I, it's not civil. We'll just leave it at that. And um you know, Neil, Neil used this word phrase once and it stuck with me and it's trauma porn. And I think that is a big part of it is that we're semi addicted to kind of this intensity, um, this, you know, 
anger or this just high emotion uh, from our news outlets. And it's not, it's not um, a civil conversation. It's not a you know, moderated debate. It's uh, he said, she says, you know, just food fight in the cafeteria. So um, I think that's the biggest difference between, you know, the, you know, the PBS style, the German news style and the American system is, you know, the decorum and how people react to it. It's, it's very different. So uh, I think that's a, a good kind of starting place is how our media is different and how we consume it is very different than abroad. And you're still checking back in with Reddit and taking that ride or you have you disabused yourself of the whole thing? I will delete Reddit from my devices uh, from time to time. It's not on my phone. Um, it's just on my iPad whenever I want to get it. And then sometimes I just you know throw my hands up in the air and say, nope, I got to delete this for like a week or a month and then I'll come back to it. But it's so intense. It's just in your face. And you know it's, it's the comment section that'll get it too. It's just people just very degrading back and forth. And then the bots will come up and say, Hey, this isn't cool. Like, you know, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit. And, you know, even AI is trying to step in and it, it just doesn't work because it's, it's just not a civil conversation. Yeah. I've, I've never gone on it once. How about you, uh, Neil and Evan, either one of you guys do the Reddit thing at all? I don't use Reddit for politics, but I will go on Twitter, uh, just to follow journalists and sort of get like a more filtered point of view where they'll, they'll just post summaries of articles or, and other sort of interesting tidbits, but it does get pretty uh, salty and it can get into the, the very hateful spectrum pretty quickly. Um, but I don't post on it. So it kind of, it's a good way for me to kind of watch it at a distance sort of, get a different feel for what's going on in the world for about 15 minutes. And then I turn it off. Yeah. I use it for news too. I follow major news organizations sometimes for politics, but for all subjects, I think it's actually a pretty good aggregator of news. But when I get caught up in the political back and forth, I'm amazed. I get no comments on anything until I say something political. And then I get 40 or 50 responses and they're usually telling me I should die or something like that. Something very unpleasant. How about you, uh, Evan? I, you know, to be honest, I don't really ever go down the Reddit rabbit hole. I, I'll use it as like a resource for things sometimes. Just, you know, it's a, a lot of times it's one of the higher hits on Google if I'm asking Google a question. Um, and Twitter, I've kind of sworn off. It's been a really long time since I've been on it. Just for that same reason, it just feels like things get toxic so fast that it's like, better for me to find my information from somewhere else than, you know, risk being triggered by some ridiculous, you know, 150 character post on Twitter. (laughs) So I just kind of avoid it a little bit, but you know, even if you're not going on it these days with how the news media is and depending on what sources you're looking at, it's not that much better. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. And the the biggest headlines are always the ones that are most divisive, it feels like. And everyone's got a very strong opinion on you know, <laughs> whatever the subject may be. So it's it's in your face no matter what. You either can hide in a hole or you're going to be exposed to it one way or another. Well, trauma porn, that, that phrase now enters the lexicon, I think. I think that's yeah. That's a really good one. Good one. Really you know, like where, where did you fish that one from? Is that an no, that's Twitter? Or did you borrow? From <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Twitter. Okay. Is that so actually? I don't go on. So I actually I follow a lot of lawyers on Twitter. Um, huh. until somebody came. Somebody had that phrase. Yeah, I'm a porn. The, I actually find the legal Twitter to be pretty interesting because a lot of times they'll break down a complex topic into t- phrases, you know, in a way that where I can understand it as a non-lawyer. So I want to I want to actually get to from this something that's really been a big issue for me is I you know I'm I'm an American studies major I like ma- I went to Stanford in 1984 and I studied American history very intensely and I've read a lot of American literature and it's very important American culture is rather important to me and I you know despite having a really good education I feel a little bit like it's only been this past year and particularly with this election 
that I really fully understood just kind of how messed up a lot of aspects of our system are and how I think I maybe it was naivete. I don't know what you might call it, but there was, was this basic fundamental belief in me that there were certain rules that would be followed that I wouldn't really necessarily like the other guy who won in the election, but I wasn't going to think he's after me or going to harm me. Uh, I, you know, I didn't, I felt like American values were ones that were widely held. And I really kind of thought that we, we were generous kind of uh, people and open people. And we were, you know, and, and this past year, I have to admit, I began to, you know, a couple of my friends were like, Albert, what planet have you been on? Um, you know, this, this country is just like, the history is so dark and there's just so, uh, just there's so much about, about what the powerful people in this country are doing to keep that power. That is just so fucked up. And I'm just like, wow, like, how do you actually now have your eyes opened in that way and then engage and live in a healthy manner? Uh, I mean, part of me wants to turn off all devices, not watch the news and kind of go into my little Hudson Valley haven uh, mode, mode where I just don't think about it. But after this election, I feel a little bit like I can't ever tune it out now. I feel a little bit like something's happened, something's shifted. And maybe that shift is just in me. Maybe it is a broader cultural shift that's that's happening. Um, I'm just wondering how you guys live day to day with sort of your that social uh, aspect to your life, the part that has to think where we're at as a culture, think about our politics, and and be part of our society, but at the same time, not not be upended by it. Um, you know, I talked to like Evan, for example. I DM with Ev Evan. And he always just hits me with like three sentences of just, dude, stupid as a stupid does. And I'm like, oh shit, that's really true, but that doesn't, that's not going to solve it. Oh no, he's right, but it doesn't solve it. So this is what I'm trying to gauge is, you know, we have wanting to be engaged, but not to be overwhelmed by the, the need that we have right now for what I believe is some pretty big, you know, to use a word reckoning about, about aspects of our society. So anyway, I'm so I, I'm, I hope that's not too broad of an introduction to this, this part of our conversation. When do you guys want to go next? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll hop in here because I, I know how I deal with it. And I FaceTime my buddy, Matt, like that is who I need to talk to whenever crazy shit is going down. Um, I know we can talk about anything, no judgment. Um, and, and that's the kind of like place I need to be whenever, like I see this stuff is, you know, someone who's going to actually listen to me, hear me, acknowledge what I have to say, and then be like, you know what, Adam, you know, th that's a great point, but I don't think it's really working like that from an outside perspective, A, B, and C, whatever the reasoning is. But I think if someone can give you some truly connected and, um, you know, empathetic opinion, that's kind of what we need because if you're getting it from all the sources everywhere, um, they just want to beat you over the head with it. They want your attention and they want their money and they want advertising. Like that's what they want. I don't think all these news medias and news outlets want you to feel anything other than I need to consume more. And that's where I think the, the news in our country differs Whereas, you know, maybe in other places, I haven't lived there long enough to really know. I never watched the news in, in the Netherlands when I lived there. Um, I, I just feel like that's our agenda is the American agenda is more, more, more. Let me give this to you. And the one thing that you should feel is needing to have more of this in your life. I mean, that's exactly what the social dilemma movie. Yeah, says. it shows you and reveals the processes that the companies do that with. Yeah. Cause yeah. What, what I'm talking about here is a fundamental uh, transformation in a sense of my own, my own take on, on the country that I live in. I'm trying to understand how to be a good American, how to be an engaged American, but not lose my mind thinking, Oh my God, this country is just not doing what it needs to be doing. I, I think you're totally right in terms of, of me being aware of what, what these, uh, what a news organization, for example, is trying to do to get me kind of twisted and get me hooked 
I, I think that's a really, really good point to just take a, a breather, turn it off and not get overly, overly stimulated by it. That's the blessing and the curse of being informed, right? Is if you're informed, you actually have knowledge and see the fallacies in any system and you're no longer get to be blissfully ignorant. Um, and I mean, it's almost any topic, especially one that's as controversial as politics and a you know governmental system. As soon as you even understand the inner workings and are a little bit informed, the fallacies come out and you, <laughs> you start to go down a deep, dark hole potentially in terms of like, man, look at how messed up our system is. Like, I can't believe this is the country we live in, you know, and it's like, you're right. We live in a system that it was built by flawed humans and is continued to be run by flawed humans. And unfortunately, the people that uh, rise to position of powers uh, stepped on a lot of toes to get there in a lot of cases. And that absolutely can drive you uh, to madness if you let it. And, and would you say that you just don't let it or were you ever driven to madness by it and just had to pull back from it? Or are you just constitutionally able to see that clearly and then just kind of keep it together? Oh man, that's a tough question. I think you, part of it is just an acceptance that, you know, it, things are never going to be perfect, but also being unsatisfied with the, with what you have and never being comfortable with the current systems in place. And you just, like with the votes we cast, you cast a vote for the person that you think is going to steer the country as a whole or the group as a whole in the right direction and make it better than what it currently is. And that's the most we can do is constantly seek to improve on where we currently are, but it's never going to be perfect. And I mean, even kind of a, a thinking, an example that I have right now is Washington, at least King County in the Seattle area is about to go into another like very strict lockdown for the next four weeks. So basically the rest of the year. And that is very damaging for small business owners, for retailers, for anyone that's not essential. And there is really no right answer that helps everyone. The only thing that you can do in making a decision like that, and the only thing you can do in constructing and building a government system that is the most beneficial is one that helps the most people. And unfortunately, um, it's not always the best for everyone. And, you know, there is no perfect solution. The most we can do is try to improve on what we have and constantly move in the right direction. That's very, very well put and very positive. It's got a nice zen vibe to it of recognizing things we can change and, and influence and and understanding things that we can't and that that's really good that's very that's very helpful neil i'm a big fan of the phrase create your own reality and what i mean by that is you know how i've been able to to sort of manage the hillscape of 2020 is focus on things that are just close physically and sort of like emotionally close to me that I can have some effect on. And that's usually like participating in something that's bigger than myself, like volunteering work, doing, you know, voter outreach or charitable work, like locally here in Oakland. And like, I just felt really sort of alienated from this idea of like, where I stand in America, just given the turmoil of everything. So if I can like find and nurture a smaller community that I can be an active participant in, it gives me a big sense of purpose. And I can actually see some um, small changes being made, you know, whether they're in myself and the group and like the larger ideas or the larger goals of the group. And I think that's what's sort of really needed because I, I always find myself like struggling to reconcile the sort of like theoretical meaning of like what is happening in America? What does it mean? Where are we going? And a lot of it feels very distant. And so it's like trying to reconcile that with like the practical things of like, okay, what's going on in my neighborhood or in my city? 
you know, what's going on in like my social group or things like that that are much more immediate to me. And there's a big gap between the two. And I've just found that there's a lot more that I can do sort of like on the local and personal level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that just embodies, you know, think global, act local. I mean, that's a bumper sticker for a reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has a a really powerful message. And kind of going off what you were saying, Neil, is, um, you know, I I had a conversation with my therapist yesterday and we're kind of talking, you know, a lot about the the future and and where it's going. And he challenged me with um, something that kind of really helped to to add a little clarity to the situation. Um, And that is... Uh, dropping my expectations and um, taking a look at my expectations, understanding why I have these expectations and then dropping them. Because what are my expectations going to do to the situation besides cause stress or, you know, pain or suffering? Uh, If we think the country should be a certain way, but it's not, there's a disconnect and we're not aligned with it. However, if we, like Neil was saying, do things in our, you know, local communities within our realm of influence, you know, we, we do have the ability to, to say, Hey, I want this to change. I'm going to change it. I can't change what happens, you know, on, uh, in the white house. I, I can't really do too much to, to influence politics besides vote and, you know, say things on social media. But what I can do is be a good person for my community, be a great partner, be a good friend, be a good person. Um, and that can influence things from times to come. So, my thing is, is like, how, how can we kind of usher in a realm of a little bit of detachment from, you know, the, the big grandiose fail of what is to come? I mean, it is, I mean, no one's really like super stoked on life, you know, in the next year, like, what are your year projections? It's like, uh, you know, you, you kind of have to fall back at that, <laughs> that comment, but, um, my thing is, is I kind of want to ask all of you guys here today is, um, you know, how do you think your expectations of this country, of this transition, you know, of this reconciliation that we talked about last episode um, are impacting your day-to-day mood and emotions? I feel I have felt a little bit of a sense of relief <laughs> uh, in the last week, I guess that would be yeah, <laughs> probably my, my biggest feeling. Um, and also, you know, uh, uh, just more proud, more proud of the, the country that I live in. Um, I think Biden's, I shouldn't say acceptance speech, but his, you know, victory speech, if you will. You know, he, he talked about uni- uniting the country and being the president for everyone, even the people who didn't vote for him. And, you know, that was a really proud thing f- for me to hear like that made me feel so positive in terms of how I personally cast my vote and in terms of how I think the country needs to, you know, act going forward. And, and so more than anything, I've just felt a lot more proud and proud of the country in general and also relieved. I felt relieved for sure. But at the same token, I feel like I was really pulled deeply into this process this time. I was making a lot of calls. I was more active, politically active on this election than I had ever been before. I donated a lot of money. I, I spent a lot of weekends calling uh, Adam's neighbors in Western Pennsylvania. <laughs> and I was very proud. I'm really proud to do it. And I was very happy to do it. But when um, it was like the first, you know, Biden made that speech. And I agree. I felt the same as you, Evan. And it just, a, a phrase came into my, into my brain the next day because, you know, they had uh, Mitch McConnell the next day with, with a tone of realizing that wor- words are great, but this kind of hardcore conflict, re- real politic approach, power is going to win. There was a feeling like you could just imagine Joe Biden bringing an empathetic heart to a meeting and trying to sit with people whose hearts are no longer empathetic. And I, the phrase came up in my head of that, that, that the heart in human heart is like the hardest human is the hardest substance in the universe. There's something so incredibly hard about a person who's been able to turn off the empathy and the, the, the compassion, listening to someone else, 
engaging their words. Like, why not, you know, Biden's 78, is he? Like, let's indulge the old dude. Maybe he's got a plan to get us back together. Let's at least give him three weeks. Mm -hmm. But already the tone was like, let's go apocalyptic. The Senate, Georgia races. And it was already going towards, it's all going to hinge on that. And all the prognosticators and all the the energy that that went into describing while it's a life, you know, I had just taken an exhale and now I'm already being like, fuck, if they don't, if they don't win Georgia now, poor old man, Biden's going to just fail immediately. And then it's going to be just more of the same. And all this is really the bigger issue is I felt and feel that I don't have the luxury anymore as an American to not pay very close attention now to politics in our country. I felt, I felt always up until I'm 58, I felt into my fifties, like the country kind of had this sort of self-corrective balance towards reason, towards the middle, middle class, compromise, all these wonderful phrases. And now um, I'm feeling like my idea of American now is extreme, fearful, uh, dangerous. Uh, I don't know if this is still post 9 11 uh, paranoia that's in there or deeper, the lack of reckoning we've ever had with our actual past that we've never really fully, to go back to what you said, Evan, the flawed human beings run by flawed human beings. I mean, they were flawed, but they, you know, there's flaws, there's flawed, and then there's like really kind of screwed up, like some of the shit that this country did it its, from its very beginning. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm wrestling with my, I feel like my personality has been changed by politics, uh, in the last couple of years in a way I could have never imagined. Maybe it's my own political awakening. Maybe it was seeing the George Floyd thing. And maybe it was, um, you know, I feel like after this year, I can't just be like, Oh, America's so great. Like it'll all work out. Now I'm like, if we don't stay very engaged, this, this, we, we might see another resurgence of this virus of hatred and all this other stuff to the point where, I mean, we, I kind of did feel like we came very close to going off the rails on, with this election. And I really pray that we're going to pull back from the brink and the next election will be civil and the debates will be more civil and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I can't say right now, 10 days after or two weeks after, whatever it is, that I'm hopeful. So maybe the hope will return. But right now I just feel uh, like I would love to let it go, but I can't. And that feels really, I feel like it's changed me to a certain degree. Neil. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that at least we're going to have a plan to get the pandemic under control. Um, that's kind of what's, what's sort of like driving me. That's the most immediate thing that, that we have to deal with. But I'm reminded of a quote I read from Rahm Emanuel, who is Obama's, chief of staff. He said about Biden winning, he said, well, he's the dog that caught the car. And it's like, now what? <laughs> you know, uh, we've got a long <laughs> uphill road <laughs> to ahead of us to, I mean, just, just with the pandemic and with all the other myriad of issues ahead of us. And my expectations are mixed but leaning low to be honest with you um i don't really know what's going to happen but i have hope that we'll at least be able to keep the car from catching on fire and killing the dog yeah. <laughs> that's uh at least the uh at the very least what we need to do. <laughs> um, you know growing up in a, a small town um very rural um and being called indiana um had a lot of uh you know, Native American influence on me growing up. And one kind of phrase that I think we need to do uh, to, to kind of really make this work going forward is bury the hatchet. And it's, it's really just to say, you know, hey, um, we're not perfect. We're angry with each other. We don't get along. We might not even like each other, but we're willing to put aside those differences to have a better future. And that's kind of like, I think, going to be the next revelation or revolution or whatever, um, is when we can honestly say we don't disagree, but we'll kind of stay together for the kids. Um, 
because America's children, they're the ones that are getting hurt. The, the next generation, what are we passing off to them? So I don't know how it's going to happen. Um, do, we need, do we need time? Do we need more money? Do we need more debates? Do we need more you know, agreement? What is it going to take for our country to bury the hatchet with people that we don't agree with? Um, so when will we shift, you know, sort of the, let's beat them down with all of our friends and family to let's have a civil discussion and bury the hatchet. Well, uh, that's a great segue actually, <laughs> um, into talking about an article that I sent you guys yeah. around earlier today. It was so funny. I sent you an article that I thought was written about this election, but it was actually written about the 2016 election, which, uh, it's an article in Atlantic. Um, the headline says, Americans don't need reconciliation. They need to get better at arguing. Um, I'll just read little bits of it to give you a little bit of a sense. An article by Eric Liu from November 2016, right after the 2016 election. A rush to reunion can entrench injustice. Instead of papering over differences, Americans need to be smarter about engaging them. And you know, clearly that's like what debates are about. And honestly, that's what politics is supposed to be about. And that's where I, I find the breakdown in our political system is that they're forgetting their role is to talk and come up with this compromise that serves all people. It's not all out war. The, the, the scorched earth politics is not going not gonna to ever get you a solution that's going to really bring, bring a, a lot of uh, a reconciliation. Anyway, I'm going to keep going here in this article. And it, it says, if you're one of those citizens watching this war raging on, um, what, you know, what could you do? What, you know, and, and this uh, writer talks about the difference between reckon, reckoning and reconciliation. Reckoning being like a full just admit to what happened in the past, um, you know, collectively accept it and heal from it and his point is that in america the past is very complicated and very deep and that reckoning is going to be really hard and that is, it might cause even more division and then he talks more uh, actually goes and talks more about what reconciliation is and this, this i found really interesting because it was very specific some of the things he suggested doing the first uh, he says there are three steps more listening more serving and counterintuitively, more arguing. Um, he said, you know, starting with listening, we need to do radically compassionate listening without judgment, without response. He said, imagine forming citizen talking circles all across the country. So citizen talking circles. Um, I mean, to make that work, you have to have talking circles that have lots of people of representing lots of different views talking. So that's, that's a challenge. But I love the idea of a, of a talking circle. And I think that's a little bit what we're trying to do with our podcast. And at this point, I do want to reach out and say, if you're a guy who thinks male vulnerability is a ridiculous concept and that we're a bunch of idiots, we would like to have you on our show because you're the, you're the person we want to build a bridge with. So please DM us and we want to put you on the show immediately. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that's really true. Uh, I like the idea of radically compassionate listening, talking circles, citizen talking circles. I mean, it's kind of what social media maybe was sort of like the, on the upside was supposed to be about, right? Yeah. I mean, that was, that was its goal, but <laughs> not its end purpose. Um, one thing I kind of want to jump in on here is the, the reckoning. Um, and from that article, it is facing history and ourselves. And history is one thing, but like I said, I think, uh, Facing ourselves and giving ourselves an honest look in the mirror is still harder than rocket science. I, I am going to say that for forever and always. Um, and I think, you know, really giving an honest look at yourselves and knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses and knowing your flaws, especially the flaws and weaknesses, knowing your shortcomings um, will allow for that reconciliation. Because until we have that reckoning with ourselves in our own past, we won't be able to move forward. Um, you know, like the article referenced the apartheid in South Africa. I mean, very much of the same thing happened in Germany um, post-World War II is they had a reckoning with themselves and they had to reconcile, hey, 
we were kind of the bad guys for a while. Um, and now we need to, you know, own up to it and be a world leader for positive change. And I think Germany is a great example of, of doing that. Um, I hated Germany just because it was Germany growing up. And then I went there. I saw the concentration camps. I had my own reckoning. And then I met Germans. I met their country. I met all of the beautiful people that inhabit it. We've had multiple guests on the show that live in Germany. And it's totally different. I, I don't have that same feeling. I think the first you know, step into this is how do we ask people or how do we um, influence people or how do we kind of incept people to really have that personal reckoning? You know, wh where, where does that come from in our country? And um, you know, America, land of the free, home of the brave, is not land of empathetic conversations at all. We don't do that. Um, and the, the argument is uh, it used to be an art, Greek and Roman debaters um, that would go up and just argue with passion um, and, and then end happily. Uh, that, that's, not, that's not a thing anymore. Um, there's not any of that. Um, so I don't have the answer. I, I'm trying to think on the fly, but I, I don't have it. Um, but Neiler, Evan, if you want to jump in on, on what, what we can do to start the personal reckoning. I'm trying to think of something meaningful to say, and I'm struggling. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? We're not politicians; <laughs> we're just guys. <laughs> well, I mean, i i do i do I do think that that Black Lives Matter and a lot of the mm -hmm. awareness, especially that young people took took taking to the streets and protesting, was young people pr being prepared yeah. to have a reckoning. They they were they were basically saying we can't. We're not going to be happy living in a society where this is being being overlooked. And I, I, I it's, it's. I worry. I'm much less worried about young people having, uh, being able to deal with 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 that kind of concept of of personal reckoning. So, I, if, if from that point of view, I am very encouraged about our future. I mean, we're we've got a ways to go be, be, before the current young generation, which is raised with a lot of different, very different views. Um, are going to be the defining generation and really setting up our institutions and, and hopefully they, they won't become cynical and, and, and swap them out for horrible ideas later. Uh, but that's, that's, that'll be, that'll be beyond us in the, in the present to understand. I'm going to go back to the article for a moment. The next thing he uh, mentions is the idea of uh, talking circles, helping to humanize strangers. Uh, Rehumanization doesn't require that we try to like each other. It requires that we try to see and hear each other, that we feel the pain and pride and hope of our putative antagonists. You know, put ourselves in other people's shoes. That's empathy. So that's all he's really calling for there is a little bit of empathy. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing is, and it goes back to social media and, you know, it feels like the first step to any of this is just people having an open mind to the opposite opinion of what they hold and having a civil conversation and being open to the other side and maybe even considering, you know, how that person has been living and how that person has been brought up and where they're getting their information from. Um, and I even kind of, you know, in the DMs that we had, Albert mentioned that to you, you know, we were kind of talking about like, how could that many people be okay with, you know, voting for Trump, you know? And I said, well, if you consider where people maybe get a big chunk of their news from, Trump doesn't look like that bad of a guy, if depending on what source, you derive all of your information from, you know, you only, you see one side and not the other. Right. And I, I think being informed is, is, is a great thing, but you have to be very careful about where you get your information from. And part of talking to someone that maybe gets their information from a completely different place than you do is, you know, keeping that in mind is, okay, this is the opinion, the opinion they have because of their upbringing and where they grew up and what news channel they listen to and, you know, what Twitters they follow. And 
all of these various, you know, factors that lead to two people that have completely different opinions. And the only way really to bring those two people together to have a civil argument is to have both of those people or that whole circle of people have an open mind to the other side and being able to take into consideration the fact that not everyone is on the same page in terms of how they've come to the the point in their life that they're at in terms of being informed. You know, they're not reading the same books. They're not getting the same information from news outlets. They're not following the same Twitter feeds, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the only way that, you know, that, that reckoning can, can happen and is by keeping an open mind to the other side. And one of my favorite people in the world, uh, Maynard James Keenan, the lead singer of Tool, the last few times I went to see them in concert said that exact thing. You, you know, he's like, I don't care what your, you know, political ideals or your beliefs on anything are. Everyone just needs to listen to each other. And that's the only thing that's going to help us, you know, at the end of the day is whether you're in politics or not, you just need to listen rather than stomp your feet and yell. I think we got to get him on the show, Evan. I think you should write him a little fan note. Oh man! If we could get Maynard on this show, Dude. oh, that would be oh, like the best work. thing I'm gonna ever. Put that, I'm gonna put that on the list. We're gonna we're gonna get him. Oh man! He's not, he's not, he's not really yeah. a people person, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if only you knew his personality. Oh, <laughs> uh, just to work our way to the end of the article, Neil, you just stop me when you want to jump in. Um, I've got something to say. All right, go for it, dude. I've got some points. I mean, I think that there's just been a <clears throat> there's a vacuum of empathy in general, particularly with social media online, and that empathy's sort of just been replaced by really just selfish hot takes and you know reaching for self affirmation, right? And the best way that I found to build empathy with people from diverse backgrounds and viewpoints is to have a shared common goal that you work towards. Um, it works great for the military. <laughs> yeah. um, and so it's, it's actually like getting together with people and working towards a common goal that I think will really help build empathy with each other. And it may slowly turn into accepting more sort of diverse viewpoints and things like that. Right. Like, like a lot of the, the people in my family with <clears throat> racist viewpoints, they're, they're like kind of in some ways theoretical racists where if they, they want to repeat some talking points they heard, they'll sound like a terrible person. But if they were driving on the road and it was raining and there was a guy or someone walking down the road and they looked disheveled or looked like they needed a hand, they'd pull over and give them a ride. It doesn't matter if, you know who they were and so i guess the million dollar question is how do you sort of bridge that gap yeah and here's four guys talking about it we're we're having a, a circle of communication we, we have that but there's no there's no real solution because we can't make another person do something mm -hmm. we can't force our ideas on another person yet the media that we consume is trying to shove a point down your throat. My big ultimate goal in life is be a better person than I was yesterday. I think we need to stop trying to get the other or persuade others um, to to do that because it's it's not working. We're you know we're not saying like you know we're not saying hey you should do this you should do that this and that. Hey, have you thought about making a change in yourself or have you thought about you know, discovering a little bit more about your thinking or thoughts or, you know, just discovering more about yourself. And it just comes right back full circle to the vulnerability aspect of it. And the fact that a closed heart can't open to another perspective. Being closed off and, and being just shut out from other opinions doesn't allow a, a conversation to go back and forth. It's a one-way street. So, for me, the, 
my call to arms and, and my call to action is, hey, take a little bit more look at yourself um, and see what you can do to better yourself the next day. Um, even if that's just, you know, entertaining a conversation just to see what happens. That may work. I'm just, I just want your opinion on this because I know I can be wrong and I'm okay being wrong. Um, I enjoy arguments um, a lot because <laughs> I think they're, they're fun and, and they can actually get somewhere and I'm totally fine being wrong. But do you guys think that we should start this trend or start this argument with, hey, you should do this or, hey, I've done this. Um, do you think you might want to try it in your life? Or I, I don't even know how to phrase it in a way that's like, you know, I don't want to push my opinion on you, but here's what I've done for myself. I don't know. Is that a good way to start the conversation? I think the, the, the best way to start an argument is to maybe not say what you think, but ask someone why they think the way they think. Like, why do you have X opinion on Y, basically? And then from there, you can get into, well, I feel <laughs> that this, you know, and then it just kind of yeah. opens the door for them to, you know, be vulnerable maybe to why, why they feel a certain way. And then from there, you, you know, it's a, it's a way of civilly having the argument, I guess, because you're, you know, you're giving them, them the opportunity to, you know, share their view and why they feel a certain way. And, you know, maybe sometimes the argument, you don't even get to share why you feel differently, but at least you're getting their perspective on why they feel a certain way. And hopefully the conversation can continue to a point where you get to share your viewpoint and, you know, that reckoning or reconciliation can happen, you know, eventually, but at least you're, you know, showing that empathy to them and giving, you know, that person an opportunity to speak their mind on, on a thing. And, you know, ideally you get to, you know, tell them why you feel differently. Well, I mean, that's gold. Cause you said um, before, like you, there needs to be a, a shared common goal. And if the shared common goal is let me find out why you think this way, it's going to work out. Again, I think it's important to give the other side some validation of why they feel that way. And that can help them let down their guard and sort of smoothly pave the way for some progress. Um, the question I keep running into that I don't really know what to do about is um, I've had a couple, I wouldn't call them discussions, but with uh, people who DM me with QAnon conspiracy theories. And I'm at a loss for what to do because I'm just kind of, I kind of file that under, you have this sort of like thought cancer and there's nothing I can do about it. So I just politely excuse myself <laughs> and get out. Yeah, and, and definitely knowing when to stop is a, a very healthy boundary. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I, I think in that case, saying to someone, you know, I really care about you deeply and you're a beautiful person and I value your humanity, but there's no uh, documentable proof mm -hmm. in these beliefs. Um, and, and if you use your reason, which is really the only tool that we're given to understand the actual character of the world we live in, um, if, if there is not of that, none of that, then you're, you're, basically, you're basically allowing the thoughts and the, and the ideas of other people to completely take you over. And that, you know, just say, if you need help pulling yourself from that, I'm happy to help. And we could talk through like the nonsensicalness of a lot of the things that you've bought into, but you can't just hide behind it and say, oh, but it's, it's QAnon, whatever. You just say Q and that trumps, you know, it just trumps everything. Like, oh, it, it like it covers their belief. They couldn't, I, I find in general, people just don't even know half the time what they're what they're supporting. They say they support something that they don't actually even know what it means. And that, you know, that, um, so I, I think that would be a way to talk someone out of that situation to say, I believe that there's, that they are a manipulative uh, bunch of people trying to get you to abandon your own reason. And you might want, all the focus should be on re 
flexing your reason muscles so that you can determine how 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 factual that is and whether or not it stands like even the common sense test does it really make sense um what you're saying so i think i think that would be my, that would be my way to deal with a QAnon person. That's a good suggestion because I I feel very out of my depth whenever QAnon comes up. Yeah, I mean I don't. And someone someone someone's not railing against QAnon. <laughs> Our country was founded on on the Enlightenment. It was the idea that science and not superstition should be the guiding force of our behavior. And if it, if we can't use reason, then we're relying on superstition, rumor violence cruelty everything but reason yeah. reason is the opposite of all those things reason means we can figure it out with our god-given brain and so we i think we need a return we need almost a neo-enlightenment in, in a country founded on the enlight on enlightenment principles uh which i think is very ironic and kind of beautiful too yeah i mean i think whether it's q or anything else i, I guess one way to ask a person that believes that is, you know, what, what basis, what factual basis do you have to make you believe that? And then maybe what factual basis is out there that would make you not believe that? And can you look at the facts supporting and the facts disproving that thing and then, you know, make a reasonable decision on what you believe. I mean, <laughs> you would hope that at a certain yeah. point that would, by doing that little bit of research, it would steer someone away from, you know, a conspiracy like that. But I did, uh, Evan, accord, uh, along those lines, I found the, uh, an article. I like to find an article that I think says and explains why something's full, full of inconsistency and error and whatever else in the simplest language and have it on hand to send to someone after the, uh, after the, uh, the, the murder of George Floyd, I had some crazy DMS and all kinds of people resisting the idea of systemic racism. Um, the single best thing that I did was send the link to that, uh, documentary 13th, um, and which exp explained the prison industrial complex. And I was absolutely amazed at the number of people who came back to me and said, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know anything in that. They had very strong opinions about something that they then realized they didn't actually know about. Yeah. So that was, uh, I, I think maybe do a little research online and see if you could find the best, you know, least snarky because some of the yeah. dismissals of QAnon could be so snarky that they're just insulting to the people who believe it. But to find a really good article and say, you know, here's one that explains it. There, there's just not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of evidence there. Just the way there's, you know, there's lots of things that people hold that there's just no evidence to support it. Um, I just want to make sure we get through before we finish up our, our hour, some of the other points of this article, because they're all related to everything we've been discussing. It talks about how national service might be a really great way, uh, you know, some sort of national service, internal Peace Corps, you know, bring people from around the country to different areas of the country to do work and build things and build relationships. Uh, my own personal relate, uh, experience with this here locally is there's been the creation of this co-op in our town. And our town is one of the more rundown, more you know, economically challenged towns in this county. That co-op has just become a incredible, you know, farmers come and sell their stuff. So there's economic benefit. Uh, people who bake, people who um, uh, cook, they are cooking things to the community. They're teaching locally, teaching people how to eat healthy. That co-op has become, uh, it's become a, a driver of, of dialogue and change. And I just, I absolutely love it. I, I, I think creating more of those types of environments where people could gather, learn from each other, have people maybe who have some time and expertise come and, and donate and, and, and uh, you know, bring, bring ideas to the table. I think that that's a really good one. So they talk, you know, some of the issues he talks about, maybe it's tutoring immigrants, helping disabled seniors, preventing youth suicide, et cetera. So I'm all for service. I think I, that's one. I would love to see Biden come out immediately with a, let's analyze the 10 poorest areas in the United States and come up with a plan to unpoor all 10 of them. Let's just start, let's just go right to the source 
and just deal with it and say, this is possible. Uh, and then to finish off the article, they get to that third point um, is about arguing more, actually. And what we need is more arguments today and less stupid ones. And basically, he argues that the political system, the two-party political system is locked now in a completely useless argument that they're talking and arguing about things that are just never, they, you can't reconcile what they're arguing about. Um, so, yeah, I mean, his point is, I'm just going to read what he wrote. America doesn't, uh, Americans can do better. Remember, America doesn't just have arguments. America is an argument between federalist and anti-federalist worldviews, strong national government and local control, liberty and equality, individual rights and collective responsibility, colorblindness and color consciousness, pluribus und unum. The point of civic life in this country is not to avoid such tensions, nor, of it, nor is it one side to achieve final victory. It is for all of us to wrestle perpetually with these differences, to fashion hybrid solutions that work for the times until they don't, and then start again which sounds very much like instructions you get for meditation. Uh, I really loved it. It's a great article. And when I found that it was a 2016 article, I'm just like, wow, I'm really sorry we didn't see this article. At least I didn't read it back then, but maybe we'll be more inclined to listen to it and read it and think about it now. Um, anyway, I'm glad you guys uh, enjoyed it and got something out of it. And what do you think? Uh, should we try to wind things down? Not sure what you guys are doing for the rest of your Sunday evenings. Jens? Well, I, I kind of want to talk um, about uh, Eastern uh, arguments and how monks argue. And I think this is really interesting, um, is that they go to a public space. They invite everyone that they can invite to that place. Um, they have a agreement before they start to talk that we are going to stand, sit, be here until we can come to a resolution around all of our community and they have a common goal, which is, is what we've talked about before of, um, you know, we want to resolve our conflict and we're going to do this by talking to each other surrounding our community. And I think that's one thing that, um, you know, we can try to do, uh, in today's world is try to get that like unbiased third party in there, a moderator, you know, uh, someone to just really kind of aid the, the conversation. Um, but if you can put, you know, an unbiased third party in there to kind of act for compromise. I think that's going to push, push the agenda a little bit further and aid in the resolution. Um, so I would say that to kind of wrap this up, I think we should import that and say, Hey, let's get a third party in an argument so that there can be like a final stamp, you know, a resolution and, and you know, at least an, an end to it. I think people could write in and I think the, uh, the, the group right here can be the four panel third party. Yeah. We'll be happy to adjudicate a, a conversation. It's a great idea. I mean, I assume that's ostensibly what debates are supposed to be about, but <laughs> the debate, the, our debate format isn't necessarily the debate person becomes a, a, like almost a third party and almost in a negative way. Almost. It can be almost like another wielding of an opinion that's kind of disguised as objectivity somehow. Um, and, and it's certainly not a debate that's supposed to be yielding an actual resolution. It's that, that, that's, that, that's the part that's missing, but I, I think that the idea is good. Evan, any, uh, any final closing words as we return? Oh man, this is such a, this is a, this is a, such a tough one, you know, cause it's such a complex issue in a way. And then also it's not because ultimately it's really just about empathy, I think. And <laughs> being being reasonable human um but for some reason that seems to be really really difficult <laughs> for so many people so it's like it, it feels so so obvious and it also it's like man that's so tough how are we going to convince everyone to be empathetic it's <laughs> like an easy answer with a very complicated solution I think it's be a helper, to quote Fred That's Rogers. Yeah, be a helper. Yeah. Well, one thing I do like is you gentlemen. I think you're fine, lovely, beautiful human beings. And I look forward every time to us talking really and seriously. Someone asked me today, they DM me and they're like, 
isn't it kind of like tiring doing the podcast? Like, how do you have the energy for that? I'm like, you don't need energy for it. I actually get energy from it. So I don't think like, oh, I got to work on Sunday on a podcast. It's more like I can't wait for the podcast. So thank you for being such great listeners and have such great opinions and being so articulate and eloquent. Adam, always a pleasure, my partner. Uh, Do you want to uh, give us the official sign off? This has been another episode of the Veer Vulnerabilis Fear podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato. I'm Neil Barrett. And I'm Evan Blanchin. Thank you for listening. <laughs>